good to be here today. Trust that we've come with a prayer in our heart to worship the Lord our God. And uh, I'd ask that you would uh, be mindful of me in your prayers as we continue with the service this morning, that I might have a ready recollection of that which is on my heart, and trust that the things on my heart are uh, of the Lord, and that he would bless us together uh, with the subject matter before us. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, and the subject that I have on my mind this morning is the subject of repentance, repentance. <clears throat> Which is a grace of God, it's also commanded that we repent from our sins. We begin reading here in Matthew chapter Three, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance, and think not to say within, within, thy, within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children <coughs> unto Abraham. So here we see the apostle, I mean the John the Baptist, he preached repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you go over to Mark chapter 1, 15, 16, after that John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, repent and believe the gospel. Paul, when he met with the elders in Acts chapter 20 at Ephesus, he talked about how he had not kept anything back, that he had testified both to the Jews and the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this occasion, John the Baptist went out and he's crying, repent. And there were many that came to him in that day and they were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. But he didn't baptize everybody that came out. He baptized those that he saw had evidences of repentance. Because we find in Acts chapter 19, verse 4, the, uh, we find that Paul says that John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying that they should believe on him that should come, half, come after him, which is Christ. So John had essentially the same message or exhortation to people in his preaching that Paul and Christ did, repent and believe. So here he's crying repentance. 
And there were people who manifested repentance. He baptized them with the baptism of repentance. But then Pharisees and Sadducees came. And John did not baptize them. And it indicates here that he did not baptize them because he did not see any indication of repentance. He read it says, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There are people who in this world who think, you, you, you may say, well, why did they, the Pharisees come to be baptized? Well, you know, they were all things religious and here's something new. Let's get some of it. Some people are that mindset. Here's something new. We're going to have something of it. A lot of people think, you know, they look to rituals. They look to different things as kind of some kind of assurance that, you know, I'm on the right track. I'm the Lord's people in the things. All right. But he says, bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. He didn't baptize them because he baptized those who manifested repentance in their lives. And he tells them, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. That word meat for repentance has means that which is becoming repentance or that which has to do with repentance. And so we want to look this morning <coughs> at this subject of repentance. And I want to approach it from the, from the point of view of what are some of the things which will accompany a true godly repentance. There are things which accompany a true godly repentance because there is a repentance that's a worldly repentance. That's not a godly repentance. And we need to know the difference between the two. All right? There is a godly repentance. So what are some of the things which attend a godly repentance? All right? Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The Apostle Paul wrote this church at Corinth. This is his second letter. <coughs> and... Uh, we're not going to go through all the problems that the church at Corinth had. But suffice it to say, when he was calling them in love to repent of a lot of all their errors that they had in that church in that day, he made them sorry with a letter, with a loving rebuke. You know, loving rebuke isn't supposed to make you feel good. If we have a rebuke, we're not made to feel good. And Paul had a loving rebuke in that first letter to the Corinthians. Now he's writing back and he's mentioning this letter that he wrote them that made them sorry. Let's listen to what he said. He says, <coughs> he wrote that letter to make them, made them sorry. Verse 9, he says, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. He just said, I wrote you a letter and you were made sorrow. You were, you were made to sorrow. You were made sorrow. But you sorrowed to repentance. And they sorrowed to a godly repentance. This is a godly repentance. Okay? And I want you to see the first thing is that it's going to attend a a godly repentance is a godly sorrow for sin. If I repent, if you repent against a sin, a known sin in our life, we're going to have a sorrow of heart for it. Okay? He says, you sorrowed 
to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. So one of the first things we want to talk about is that accompanies a true godly repentance is a godly sorrow for the sin. There is remorse, sorrow, weeping, and mourning for sin. Maybe not outwardly, but there's a sorrow of heart. That is one of the things that accompanies a true godly repentance. And if I don't have sorrow in my heart for sin, then I surely haven't repented of it yet. Okay? Godly sorrow work of repentance. <clears throat> That's one of the things that accompanies a true repentance. And as we look at this subject, as we go through various passages of the scripture where the Lord talks about repentance, <clears throat> we're going to come across words like repent and say, well, first of all, what is repentance? It's a change of mind. Basically, rudimentary and fundamentally, it's a change of mind. All right? That's going to tend to lead to a change in action. But fundamentally, it's a change in our minds. And we talk about repenting of sin. We're talking about turning away from sin. And it starts uh, with the turning away of sin in our minds. Okay? But we're going to come across words like repent. We're going to come across words like turn, which means turn over there in 1 Thessalonians 1, it talks about how they turned to God from their idols. They turned from their idols. They turned from their sins. And we'll also come across the word return. Because when we've been turned to the Lord and we happen to backslide, backsliding is taught in the Bible, all right? You're not going to backslide into hell, but uh, you're going to backslide and you backslide away from God. Then God calls upon his children to not turn, but return. You return to the Lord one time. Now he calls upon you to return. So we're going to come across the words repent, turn, and return. It's talking about turning away from sin to God. Turning away from doing that which is evil and sinful and turning back to God in repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. First of all, there's going to be sorrow, sorrow of heart. If we go to Joel chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Therefore also now saith unto the Lord, saith the Lord, Turn ye even unto me. There's the word turn. He says, turn ye even to me with, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. That, that's, uh, I think it's Joel chapter 2. So here we find a scripture, verse 12. He says, turn ye even unto me. He's calling upon them to repent. He says, turn ye even to me with fasting and turn with weeping and with mourning. There's sorrow of heart. And he says, rend your hearts and not your garments and turn unto the Lord. Rend your hearts. See, this is a heart sorrow for sin. You know, there's a scripture over here in uh, Matthew chapter 11. The Lord was talking about repentance. <coughs> Matthew chapter 11, verse 21. He says, woe unto thee, Chorazin. 
Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. He said, if the mighty works which were done in thee had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. He's pronouncing some woes against these cities. He said, look, if the mighty works had been done in you, they were done in Tyre and Sidon, you know, they would have repented already and you hadn't repented. Same preaching. They would have repented. But look what he said. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. You say, what's that talking about? What do you mean sackcloth and ashes? Sackcloth was mourning or weeping attire. And if we were people in mourning in that day, they'd, they'd, they'd sit down in the dust and ashes. It was a posture of, of mourning and weeping. You remember over there in Job chapter 42, about verse 5 or 6, Job says, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, and I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 26, he says, O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth. <clears throat> gird thee with sackcloth. <clears throat> Let me go and read that. Jeremiah chapter 6. He says, O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth. <clears throat> Wallow thyself in ashes. O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth, wallow thyself in ashes. Remember what he said over there in Matthew 11? It says they were repented in sackcloth and ashes. Here's what it's all about. He says, O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth, wallow thyself in ashes, make thee mourning. That means weeping. When I say morning, I'm not talking about afternoon or evening versus morning. I'm talking about crying. I'm talking about being remorseful. I'm talking about being sorrowful for sin. He says, gird thee with sackcloth. He says, wallow thyself in the ashes. Make thee mourning, weeping. As for an only son, boast bitter lamentation. Say you had an only only son. You only had one son and he died. Would you mourn? That's what he's talking about. Make thee mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation. He's calling upon them to repent of their sins and he wants to see some mourning and weeping. Because mourning and weeping, being sorrowful with a godly sorrow for sin, is one of the things that accompanies a true godly sorrow. Alright? A true godly sorrow. And when we talk about over there in 2 Corinthians 7, a godly sorrow... Uh, that tells you where it came from and also to whom the sorrow is directed. Alright? But here he says, Wall thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation. Back over there to Joel chapter 2. He says, he says, uh, he says, uh, rend your hearts. It says, uh, <clears throat> therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even unto me with what? With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. He says, rend your heart. Not your garments. And turn unto the Lord. For he is gracious. See it's a heart. You know you know how the Jews were all about show right? You know they'd stand out in the corner. They wanted to see. You know they they, they, they made these long prayers out on the street corner. So everybody would see they're praying. Oh they're so holy. <clears throat> they would give their alms out there. Everybody could see. Giving alms to the poor. Because they wanted to be seen of men. Right? All those people, he, God is saying, look, don't just go through the form that you're acting like you're, you're so sorrowful and rending your garments. He says, rend your hearts, not your garments. This is a heart sorrow for sin. And it's a godly sorrow. It comes from God 
And it also is directed back to God. It's a sorrow. Say, so what's godly sorrow? Because in the text over here in 2 Corinthians, it talks about a sorrow of the world which worketh death. There's a godly sorrow, but there's a worldly sorrow. And you can have a godly repentance and you can have a worldly repentance as well. Well, what's the difference? A godly sorrow is a sorrow for the sin itself as it has offended God. I have grieved the Holy Spirit. I have dishonored the Lord. I have uh, dishonored and disappointed my Heavenly Father. And it's a sorrow for the sin as it as it affected God. A sorrow on the world of the world, on the other hand, is a sorrow that's directed to poor old me because of the consequences that sin has brought into my life. That's the sorrow of the world. And we have a few examples in scripture. Let's just look at one. And let's go to turn with me to first first Kings chapter thirteen. First Kings chapter 13, we find there was a man back over there whose name was Jeroboam. He was the first king of Israel after it divided. Right, the first king of Israel was Saul, the son of Sis. We're going to first Kings 13. You know, Saul was the first king of Israel, right? He reigned for 40 years. Then David reigned 40 years. His son Solomon reigned 40 years. 120 years where all the 12 tribes were together under one king. But then because of the sins of Solomon, the kingdom was divided and you had 10 tribes went to the north. And two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, remained in the south where Jerusalem was. Okay? Where you had the temple, Solomon's temple was. And when that division took place, a man named Jeroboam was the first king of the ten tribes. They're called the king, the king, and at that point, that's where you have the king, kingdom of Israel versus the kingdom of Judah. Alright? Ten tribes, two tribes. Well, the first king over those first tribe was a man named Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, he instituted a lot of bad things. Because he didn't want all the people of the ten tribes going down to Jerusalem to worship like they're supposed to at certain times of the year. So, because he didn't want them to fall off to them. But so basically he built two calves. Two images. Two calves. I believe they're calves, weren't they? Put one in Bethel and one in Dan. And you know what he said? Behold the gods that brought you out of Israel. We, <laughs> Egypt, rather. They, they'd done, done that before, hadn't they? <clears throat> Going back to the old playbook. These be your gods. You don't go down to Jerusalem. You worship here. Alright. Bethlehem, Bethlehem Dan. Well, here's, here, and, and he also took the, 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 the people, the, the, uh, people, the, the low standard. He didn't use the Levites for priests. He took the lowest of the people, made them priests. And here he is. He's at the altar of God and he is, and, and this is a very grievous thing. You keep reading. After Jeroboam's dead, you keep hearing about, as you go through the scriptures, the sins of Jeroboam, the sins of Jeroboam, the people didn't leave, the sins of Jeroboam. That's not the kind of legacy you want to leave, that you're known for such a sinner. And here's this man, he's up there in 1 Kings chapter 13, and he is there, he stood by the altar to burn incense. God sent his man, sent the man of God there, and he prophesied against that altar and uh, against that place. And he, we pick him up here in 1 Kings chapter 13. 
and he cried uh, against the altar. Verse 2, he cried against the altar of the Lord. Let me see verse 1. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto thee, under the house of David, Josiah by name. And upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burned upon thee. And he gave a sign in the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are uh, upon it shall be poured out. I mean, the audacity of this man. Here is Jeroboam. He's the king. He's there, right there at the altar, ready to burn incense. And the man of God comes up, cries against that sin, against that altar, and says, This sign's going to happen, that all these things are going to be fulfilled. I mean, he's going up against the king. The king didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. And we find that it says, verse 4, It came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And I guarantee you 100% he wasn't laying hold on him to give him a pat on the back. He was going to lay hands upon the Lord's anointed and do him harm. Probably kill him. He reached forth his hand to take hold of this fella. They would cry out against what he was doing there at the altar. And guess what happened? Well, you know what happened if you know the story. It says he laid out his hand to lay hold on him. And it says his hand which he put forth against him dried up so that he could not pull it into himself again. God, there's a miracle right there. God shriveled up his hand. Whoa. You know after that happened, that had an effect on Jeroboam. He wasn't ready to lay his hand upon the Lord's anointed at that point. You know what Jeroboam did? <clears throat> and also at that time when his hand, he couldn't pull an end again. It says the altar also rent and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me that my hand be restored unto again. Says in the man of God beside the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again and became it as it was before. Now he's saying to the man of God, pray for me. Entreat the Lord for me. And I bring this up because I'm <coughs> Jeremiah, you know why he had such a change? Because his hand had dried up. And I think he was sorrowful for that. He wanted something different. He had sorrow and remorse for ever trying to lay hands on the man of God because now he's got a shriveled up hand. And he is now going to say, Lord, uh, entreat the Lord that he restore my hand like it was. <clears throat> Do you know what caused the change? It was he had remorse over the consequences of his sin. He was sorry. It's kind of like over there in in uh, in in Genesis chapter nine. You know there was times over there where Pharaoh, when God started bringing all these plagues over there to Pharaoh, I think you go over nine twenty seven. You're going to see that that Pharaoh told Moses says Moses. You know, when God sent all the 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 the, the hail and the fire that burned up all their crops. He says, 
Entreat the Lord for I've sinned. And he says, entreat the Lord for me that he take away this death. He take away all these things. I'm going to tell you, you can have a sorrow of the world. You can have people. There's lots of people that maybe are in prison today that are real sorry that they either got mad, picked up that gun and shot that fellow. But the question is, why are they sorry? And don't say it's because they got caught. That's part of it. But that's only true if there's consequences for getting caught. It's the consequences of sin that, I mean, I've landed in 12, in jail for 20 years. I'm real, I could be really sorry that I shot that man because I've just ruined 20 years of my life. I'm sorry for the consequences my actions brought upon me, but that may have nothing to do with God. See, I'm sorry for myself. I'm sorry the consequences that's been brought upon me. And you know the difference between this and a godly sorrow, if you look over at, um, if you look at, uh, we talk about a godly sorrow. I said it's directed toward God. If we look over here in uh, Psalms 51, listen to David. And, and here's what I want you to see. Sometimes you can tell between a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow by what's being prayed for. Over here in Psalms 51, Man after God's own heart who had a godly sorrow in his heart for his sin. Listen to what he says. Verse 1. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy mercies. He says, Blot out my transgressions. He says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Do you know what was bothering David? His iniquity, his transgression, and his sin. That was the problem. That's what he was sorry about, and that and and it's and that's what he wanted uh, to be removed, because that was the problem. He had sinned against God. He says, "For I acknowledge my transgression; my sin is ever before me." He says, "Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight." He has remorse and sorrow for his sins as it has affected God. He's dishonored God. He's displeased God. He says, Lord, please uh, remove my iniquity. Blot out my transgression. See, it's the sin as he's offended God that causes him remorse and sorrow. That's the kind of sorrow that attends a godly repentance. But if you just have a sorrow of the world, you'll be like Rehoboam, I mean Jeroboam over there. Entreat the Lord that he what? Forgive the sin that I've sinned against you. No, he says, entreat the Lord that he restore my hand. See, it's all about my hand. I can't reach out my hand like I used to. Entreat the Lord that He that He heal my hand. That's the sorrow of the world. That's the sorrow because of the consequences that He had upon Himself. And it's looking at Him. It's not looking at God. It's not sorrow for God, towards God. It's toward Himself for the consequences. All right. Same thing. Same thing with 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 uh, 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 Pharaoh over there. He came to Moses and says, oh, you know, we've sinned this time. Entreat the Lord that he take away this death. That he take away these locusts. Entreat the Lord that he would restore things like they were, you see. I said before, I'll say it again. The thing that was bugging uh, him was all the bugs. Right? The lice and the flies. But as soon as all the consequences were taken away, well, he's back to his old hardened self. No, I'm not going to let you go. 
I'm not going to let you go. All right? So there's a difference between a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. But a godly sorrow is that which uh, accompanies a true godly repentance. <coughs> and we ought to know what this is. All right, let's bring this home just for a moment. All right? You know, there's been times in my life that I've maybe, uh, you know, said something. You know, I'm kind of ornery sometimes and I'll, I'll do something and say something. Maybe, maybe I've said something I didn't really mean anything by it, you know, or did something that, that in my mind shouldn't be a big deal, but maybe, have you ever said anything or done something that really, you didn't think it was any big deal, but the person you said it or to, they were really offended and hurt and they're like, have you ever said anything? Maybe, you know, maybe in your family. Maybe in, down on the job. You did something and they, they just really just started chewing you out for. You know, just raking your, raking you over the coals because you said this or that. And, and, you, and you're like, whoa! You're wearing your feelings on your sleeve. Are you thinking, you're wearing your feelings on your sleeve? I didn't really do nothing. What, what, what is your problem? Why are you getting so mad and upset? And they're just berating you. And they're just giving you what for? You say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right? You probably never had anything like that happen to you, have you? And you usually raise the voice. You say, okay, I'm sorry. It's like, would you shut up? I don't know what your problem, we're thinking, I don't know what your problem is. I mean, I didn't really do anything wrong. I just, but I am sorry that I ever said that or did that because it gave me, it got me a good chewing out. Get off my case. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, leave me alone. I don't know what, and we're thinking, I don't know what's wrong with you. Man. Well, you know what? <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry I ever said that because why? It got me a good chewing out. I may not be sorry because I actually hurt that person. You understand what I'm saying? Why are you sorry? Oh, you're sorry. Why are you sorry? Well, because it got me a good chewing out. See, that can affect us. We can have a sorrow of the world. We're, we have, if we're just sorry because it got us, uh, you know, the consequences brought upon us that, that's not pleasant. That's sorrow of the world. But it's a godly sorrow. Maybe I actually sinned against that person and transgressed and I hurt them. My sorrow and remorse should be directed to them and to God word. Alright? Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Not to be repented of. He says, turn ye even unto me with all your heart and with weeping and mourning. It's a sorrow for the sin itself as a defended God. David says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. It's directed to Godward. It's a sorrow and remorse for sin as it is offended and displeased God. That's the kind of sorrow that's going to attend a godly repentance. All right? And you can have people, I say it again, they may not, they may not go out and shoot anybody anymore because they know what it's going to get them. You see. Alright? And so they could turn away from this because they see it's not in their best interest to continue on in this. And it may have not have anything to do with God. There's a worldly repentance and there's a worldly sorrow. Alright? Alright, let's move on. Uh, the next thing that I want to talk about that attends a, a godly repentance, we could talk about, I'll just mention it, there's also going to be a hatred for sin, um, which is kind of obvious. 
And uh, certainly if I love, you know, Job, Job said, I, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee and I abhor myself. It's because of the sin. <clears throat> I'm not going to spend much time more time on this. I'll just say that, that uh, Paul says over in Romans chapter 7, he says, the good that I do, I would not. That which I hate, I do. <clears throat> There's a hatred for sin. There's an abhorrence for sin. If you want a lecture reading, go read Ezekiel chapter uh, 3, verse 9, or 6, verse 9, I believe. It talks about that God is going to, the people over there, when they went off into captivity, they're going to remember their evils, and they're going to loathe themselves in their own eyes because of their sin. There's a loathing and abhorrence for sin. But right along with that, there's going to be not only a sorrow for sin, but we're going to be ashamed of sin. We're going to be ashamed of sin. Alright? Um, let's turn over, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 18. Being ashamed of sin is one of the things that's going to accompany a true godly repentance. He says in verse 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. And there's a lot we can say right there. I'm going to pass it briefly. But if you turn to the Lord, there's a turn and He does first. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned. He said, I was like a bull unaccustomed to the yoke. You know... I'm not used to being yoked up going in this way. It's like a wild bronc. You put a saddle on them, they're not broken. They're not broken at all. They want, they don't like that. You, you hook oxen up to, to a yoke of oxen, they're going to fight it. There's some teaching and some turning the Lord has to do before I'm going to accept that yoke, alright? And then turn. But anyway, you think about that. He said he was a, he was as a, uh, bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me and I shall be turned for thou art the Lord my God. Verse 19 is what I want. He says, surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. When it says that he repented, I want you to notice he said he was ashamed. He was ashamed of those sins. Over there in Luke chapter uh, 18, I think verse 13. Remember the publican? Wouldn't so much lift up his eyes unto heaven. But smote upon his breast said, God be merciful unto me a sinner. You know why he wouldn't even look unto heaven? Because he's ashamed. He's ashamed of the sin. At what time I, re- when I was turned, I repented. And after I was instructed. See, there's some more instruction from the Lord there. Showing the heinousness of my sin, I was ashamed of my sin. Alright? That's one of the things that accompanies a true godly repentance. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9. Here we find Ezra is praying. He's confessing his sins up unto the Lord. And Ezra 9 verse 5 it says at the in the evening and at the evening sacrifice I rose up from my heaviness and having rent my garment and my mantle 
I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. Ezra 9, 6 says, and he said, and he said what? Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face unto thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our heads and our trespasses grown up into the heavens. He says, I'm ashamed and blush to lift up my voice unto thee. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 8. You know, we can learn some things that accompany a true God of repentance by seeing the characteristics of those that don't repent. And people who don't repent of their sin, you know what? They're not ashamed of their sin. Right? They're not ashamed. Uh, they, over there in uh, Isaiah 9-9, it talks about Israel. It says they declare their sin in Sodom. They hide it not. They hide it not. Not ashamed at all. As a matter of fact, this is Pride Month, right? Pride Month. Well, they're proud about it. They're not ashamed at all. Whether it be, and I'm going to tell you what. I mean, homosexual fornication is taught against in the Word of God. Heterosexual fornication is taught against in the Word of God and any other kind of fornication you want to talk about. Which I could go in, the Bible says something, I don't want to talk about it and, you know, <clears throat> in the presence of women and children. But go read Leviticus chapter 18. Alright? But anyway, says they declare their sin to Sodom, they hide it not. He told Israel in Jeremiah 3.3, 3, he says, Thou hadest a whore's forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. Well, here we see a big contrast. He says, I'm ashamed and lift to blush my, uh, to lift my face up unto thee. That publican wouldn't so much lift up unto him. God be merciful unto me, a sinner. Because there's an ashamed. When, when Jeremiah says, when I'm repented, I was ashamed. When I repented, I was instructed, I was ashamed. Being ashamed of those sins. Not boasting in them, but being ashamed of them. But we can find out here in Jeremiah chapter 8, talking about this people that refused to return, and repent. It says here in verse uh, 12. It says were they ashamed. When they had committed abomination. Nay they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. And this was a people. You look in verses 5 and 6. It talks about a people who refused to repent. And turn from their wicked ways. Well were they ashamed when they had committed abomination. No not at all. But if we repent of our. Sins. We have known sins we repent of. We're going to be ashamed about those things and we're not going to be going around boasting in those things. If I've really repented like I should. We're not going to be boasting in those things. You know, the Bible talks about those uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 19 whose God is their belly. Uh, it, it talks about that they glory in their shame. Jude talks about those to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever, that they foam out their shame. Wandering stars foaming out their own shame. And I've heard a lot of people foaming out their own shame. Watch the times. I've heard lots of locker room talk. Foaming out their own shame. And they're glorying in their conquests. 
I've heard people talking about, you know, they get in certain circles. How, oh yeah, man, they got went out and got drunk last weekend. They're glorying in their shame. And I've heard, I've heard, I've heard church, church folks do the same thing from time to time during the story hour. You get together and talk about the sins of their youth. I was uh, visiting and uh, uh, many, many years ago now. I remember I went to uh, stayed the night at its, uh, uh, Deacon's house in a church here in Texas, and and there's a bunch of sisters came over and they were fellowship and talked around the table. And pretty soon one of them says, uh, "You know, I uh, and this is a mild example, but you'll hope you get the point." <clears throat> she says, uh, oh, "I I got a ticket. I got a ticket a while ago coming here. Got a traffic ticket. I was speeding." And I was going, you know, I don't remember the story. It's like, you know, I was going uh, 45 in a 35-mile zone. I got a ticket. Can't believe I was going that fast. And the sister next to her said, well, I remember one time I was going 55 in a 35-mile zone one time. And uh, she told her little story about where she got a ticket for doing that. And then the next one says, you know, you got to have a little better story. I remember I went through a school zone one time. And they were just going, it's story time. Now you say, well, that's, uh, you know, maybe that's a mild example. But I'm going to tell you what, I've, I've been around folks where they, you know, we think that somehow relishing and, and, you know, bringing up old bones out of the closet. Yeah, back in my youth, I remember one time, man, I got drunk, I did this and I did that. I'm not doing it now, but I did it then. You know what we're doing? We're glorying in sin. We're glorying in sin. Do I really have the right mind about that sin if I'm going to glory in it? No. I'm I'm ashamed. And when the Bible says, you know, uh, to tell tell one another our, our faults one to another, he's not talking about taking all the skeletons out of your closet. He's talking about, you know, I have a fault that I get mad too quickly. You pray for me. I have a fault over here that I, I don't pray like I should. I mean, I have tendencies to do these things. Will you help me? That's not talking about we're supposed to dig up all these sins and start prating them around. Especially if somehow we're taking some kind of delight in this story of what I did back in my day and we're glorying, we're foaming out our own shame is what we're doing instead of being ashamed. If we're properly ashamed, we don't want to bring up those things because it hurts our heart because we know how much it offended God. Jeremiah says, after I was turned, I repented. And after I was instructed, I was ashamed of those things. So we're going to have a godly sorrow, a sorrow of heart for the sin as it has offended God. We're going to be ashamed of those sins. All right. We're not going to glory in our shame. We're actually ashamed and blush at the thought that, yeah, I was so stupid and sinful that I did this. I should blush, not boast. I should blush. Two Bs, boast or blush. You should blush because it's a heinous thing in the sight of God. If I have a proper view of the sin that I've repented of, why, what's the next thing? There'll be confession of sin. What? was going on when John the Baptist baptized those in Jordan. They were baptizing them in Jordan, confessing 
their sins, right? Confessing their sins. And my friends, if I'm not willing to confess my sin, I really hadn't repented of it yet. If I sinned against God, if I can't confess my sin to God, I hadn't really repented of it yet. And my friends, if I sin against you, I should be able to confess my sin. You ever, you ever met people that can't, don't take responsibility for anything they do and they never say they're sorry? Well, it's a sign of weakness. Well, it's a sign of pride. <clears throat> Cannot acknowledge the truth that I messed up. That I sinned. And I sinned against you. Or you. And in doing so, I sinned against God. Confession of sin. When the prodigal son repented of his sin, he took his father's wealth and he spent it in riotous living. He came to himself. He said, I will go back to my father and I will say, "I, have, Father, I have sinned against thee and against heaven. See, he had a godly sorrow because he also said, I knew it was godly sorrow because he said, I sinned against heaven. You see, godly sorrow. I sinned against my father and I sinned against heaven. He who sits in heaven, that's God. In Jeremiah chapter 3, we find that God calls Israel to repent this way. He says, verse 12, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return. There's your word. Return. They had backslidden. He says, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger Forever. He says return unto me. Look at the next verse. He says only acknowledge. Thine iniquity. That thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. And hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice saith the Lord. Turn O backsliding children. You see what he weaves right in there. When he calls them to return and turn. He says only acknowledge thine offense. Acknowledge thine offense. If we have true repentance, it's a godly repentance. We're gonna hate, we're gonna be sorrowful, hate that sin, be ashamed of that sin, but we're gonna be willing to admit and acknowledge what we did wrong. Alright? Confess. And I'll give you some advice today. You're in a situation where you've transgressed against a brother, sister, mother, any coworker, whatever it is, and you're trying to seek their forgiveness, do not just go up to say to them, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Well, what are you sorry for? You know, there was an instance several years ago, some young folks, you know, this is a, they have to believe they're in high school, if I remember the story correctly, and they kind of had their clique, you know, they're, they, they had their friends, boys and girls they kind of ran with, did different stuff, you know, and, and one of them, and I don't remember what, he did, but he really transgressed against the others. He did them wrong. Okay? Did them wrong. Well, you know what they did? There's consequence. They heaped some consequences on that guy because he's out of the clique. He's out of, you know, he's not in their good graces. He's not, they're, they're, he's not their buddy buddy anymore. So man, he didn't like that. So what he did, he finally said, okay, I'm gonna, I, I don't like, I don't like the circumstances that I'm in. So I'm gonna go to them and I'm gonna tell them I'm sorry. 
So he went and told them, look, look, guys, I, I'm sorry, man. I mean, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Well, one of that, well, there's a girl in that group pretty sharp. She said, well, if you tell us what you did wrong, we'll forgive you. He said, well, I don't know what he did wrong. Hmm. I even experienced that in a church one time. I was a member of this church, all right? Back in the day, long time ago, and one of the members been railing on another member. And this has gone on for quite a while, and he'd been uh, exhorted to stop doing that kind of thing. Don't do that, you know, stop selling this church member down to, you know, saying all this slander in that man's name. He wouldn't quit. Church is about to take action against this fella. All right? Well, when it came uh, to his attention that the church is fixing to discipline him, and he may not be a member there anymore, he comes before the church, and he says, he's brother, I'm really sorry, brethren. I just, you know, if, if I've done any of you wrong, will you please forgive me? Please, I, I'm so sorrow of heart. If I've done you wrong, will you forgive me? Well, what do you think happened? Well, the church said, well, if you're, you're asking forgiveness, acknowledging, you know, and begging us to, you saying you're sorry for what you've been doing, we'll forgive you. But I caught up on the little words, if I've done you wrong. So, I guess being me, I called him up on the phone and I was talking to him, I'm glad you, uh, sorry for what you did. Can you tell me what you did exactly? He said, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did. He would not acknowledge his offense. And he soon got out of there, joined another church, and he became that church's problem. All right? Over here in Jeremiah chapter 8, where it talks about in verse 12, were they all at all ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not ashamed. Let's go to the verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. He says, Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? It says, They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. Here's some people refusing to repent. Look at the next verse. He says, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright, saying, What have I done? What have I done? My friends, if there's no acknowledgement of what I have done, there is no repentance on my part. I have sinned. I have done wrong. I did this. I did that. He says, oh, God says, return unto me. Only acknowledge thy offense. And seek my face. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 12 and 13 again. You go over to Hosea uh, chapter 5 verse 15. God says this about Israel. He says, I will go and return to my place. Till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. Because he's going to go there until they repent. And if they hadn't acknowledged their offense, they hadn't repented yet. That he really hadn't repented yet with a godly repentance. It requires an acknowledgement. I mean, how can I repent of something? I don't even admit what I did wrong. Can't. 
There's a godly sorrow for the sin, being ashamed of the sin. I'm willing to be able to acknowledge and confess my sin. Go read Psalms 51 again. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. I acknowledge my transgression unto thee. My sin have I not hid. Oh, that's in, that's in uh, 30, 30, uh, 34. Jer- uh, Psalms 34. Psalms 34. Uh, I think it's 34. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. It's 32. Verse 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not said. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest me the iniquity of my sin. You know the good part about that? We have a promise in 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession of sin is going to accompany a true godly repentance. You mark it down. I will go and return unto my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. Repent, but only acknowledge thy sin. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whosoever covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever what? Confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. Which brings us to the next thing. Forsaking sin. We're going to be sorrow. We're going to have a sorrow, godly sorrow for our sins as offended God, be ashamed of those sins, being willing to confess those sins, and be ready and purpose to forsake those sins. I mean, I'm not repent, I'm not fool the Lord if I say, you know, Lord, forgive me what I did this last weekend with the full intention I'm going to go do it again next weekend. I'm fooling myself. We should have a purpose to forsake sin. Job 22 verse 23, it says, If thou wilt return, there's our word, return unto the Almighty, thou shalt put iniquity far away from thy tabernacles. We're going to be forsaking sin. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him turn unto the Lord, for he'll have mercy upon him, and unto our God, for he will abundantly pardon you see what he linked there with repenting and turning? He says, let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Forsake my thoughts. And turn unto the Lord. And I'll have mercy on him. A purpose to forsake. I have a godly... If, I, if there's a sin out here that I'm repenting of before the Lord, I hate that sin. I am remorseful and sorrowful of that sin. And I'm ashamed I was so stupid and such a sinner to do that sin. I'll just say it that way. That's how I feel sometimes, right? I mean, David said one time, I was like a beast before thee. How stupid. You ever kick yourself for being so stupid sometimes? I do. I'm stupid. I've acted stupidly. All right. I may have some intelligence, but I acted like a fool. All right. And I hate the things that I did and how I have acted. And I'm ashamed of those things. But I'm willing to confess it because God already knows it anyway. Your mind's like an open TV screen. Your life, his eyes of the Lord have run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He sees it all. He knows everything. There's no place you can hide yourself. I mean, but he says, if you confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Whosoever covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. There's forsaking. I've got to be purposed to forsake those things. And now back over here in uh, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, 
He says, why is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by perpetual backsliding? It says they hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. See, they're holding it fast. They're not forsaking it. They're holding it fast. When you don't repent, you're, you're holding on to it. If you do repent, you're going to do your best of your ability to let it go, to abstain from it, to get away from it. We're going to purpose to not do that thing again. Alright? There's a purpose to put it away. Last thing I want to mention is at times, if we're going to have a true proper repentance, there's going to be a restitution made for sin. This primarily or exclusively, I don't know if exclusively, this primarily is relating to how I maybe have sinned against you. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. We've talked about there's a godly sorrow for sin, for the sin itself as it has offended God, being ashamed of those sins, detesting those sins, being able to confess and forsake those sins. We're going to make restitution for those sins if, if we can. A lot of sins you can't. But some you can. Here in Ezekiel chapter 33. Verse 14 says, Again, when I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die. If he turn from his sin, there's repentance. If he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right. See, he's forsaken it too. He's turned from the sin. Now he's doing that which is lawful and right. Carries with it. He's forsaken that. He's doing right now. All right. If he do that which is lawful and right. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that which he robbed. Walk in the statutes of light without committing iniquity. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Do you know what he said? Give again that which he robbed. If I go down here to the grocery store and I steal a candy bar, a loaf of bread, whatever it is, and I repent of that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go give it back. Go give it back. If I'm visiting the Chupics and Sisters Connie's got some nice flower bed there and she made me so angry that I just plowed through it and ruined her flower bed on the way out of the ranch there. And I repent of that. I'm going to be trying to restore the flowers I destroyed. I'm going to be, I'm going to be there planting them again if you let me plant them. I'm going to be providing them. You remember Zacchaeus over there? He's a publican. He says, if I take anything by, uh, false, uh, falsely, he said, I'll restore fourfold. See, we can make restitution sometimes. I know of a man. I know he lives up in Fort Worth, Texas today. He's a successful businessman. He got convicted over the fact that he cheated on some tests in college. And he realized, he, 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 he repented of that. So you know what he did? He went to the president of the college. Confessed what he did. And he brought, he brought his diploma there and he says, Sir, if I understand that, you know, it was many years ago, but if you want to take my degree back from me, it's all just and good. That's your decision. But my mind is free now. 
You know what they did? Actually, he took it. That degree was rescinded. But he could live with himself. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that which he robbed. We're going to be ready to give again that which we robbed. To try to make it right what we did wrong. If I work at a bank and I embezzled $30 million of the bank's funds and I got caught. Let's just say that happened. And I come to you, I come in the bank, I said, you know, I could, I could, I could come in there crying and sobbing. <laughs> I'm so stupid, I can't believe I did that. I hate that I did that. I'm ashamed that I stole your money. I embezzled your money. I freely confess that I did it. I'll never do it again. And, uh, you know, would you please just forgive me? You know, the banker might say, okay, well, you know what? He's so, he's so, he has such contrition, sorrow of heart. He's so tore up over this matter. You give us, you know, that, that money's in the bank down in Cayman Islands, you know, but if you give it back, you get, you, you, you can have your job again because, you know, I, I, you demonstrated that you, you got some honesty about you and you're coming to me like this. Just give the money back, all will be forgotten. What? That's $30 million. You think I'm going to give that money back? That's $30 million. If I were to say that, that'd be evidence that all this other's just fluff. I'm acting like I'm so sorry. I'm acting like I'm ashamed. It's just that I got caught. If I'm not willing to restore the pledge, I'm not willing to make, try to make it right. That which I stole, I really hadn't repented with a godly repentance. But if I have, I'm ready to try to make it right. If I've been telling stories down the, you know, through the country on brother, brother Paul down there, lying and, and against him and slandering his name, saying all kinds of falsehoods and stuff. If I repent of that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come and acknowledge my offense to you, ask your forgiveness, but I'm going to everybody that I spread stories on and tell them I sent, I lied to you. He's not that way. I'm going to try to make it right if I really repent of that sin. May God bless you, my friend.